Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Everybody and welcome to the 258th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger, and I am joined this afternoon by Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. And I think we're going to have Nathan Ernst, but we will see if and when he's able to join. Jeff, my friend, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, I was just in a crazy storm in Florida last week. I don't know if. You guys saw the news in Fort Lauderdale. I was down there. I sent some of the guys some crazy pictures. Our street was completely flooded, but my pa- family's place was untouched. We're totally fine, but happened to go down to Florida expecting to get some sunny weather, and it was the worst storm in 500 years there per rain. So that is nuts. <laughs> that is nuts, man. I saw that picture you sent of the flooding was just, man. The whole airport I- was shut down for two days. I know. <sighs> Wow. Well, I'm glad you're back home safe, enjoying the nice weather in Toronto. And uh, that's all that's all good news. It's it is raining here. We had some nice weather for a while. It looks like we're going to be socked in with rain for a bit. So, you know, I figured it was time to do a pod. Uh, I, I was listening to, I don't know, one of the million podcasts I've been listening to recently on the draft and finding myself I guess a little bit 
aware of how much people kind of get on one side of a, of a player or another, and then they find themselves essentially coming up with every reason why that player is the right player or better and almost allergic to saying anything good about that player. And I was like, that feels like something we should talk about. And we've been on the on one side of a, quite a few players, uh, not all the same guys, but I felt like we should spend some time today doing a special episode, which I have decided to call the crisscross episode, where all of us, all of us are going to be asked to take positions that are the least comfortable for us, that we believe in the least, but that we are going to take a good faith attempt to explain why the Seahawks might want to consider doing it. So this is going to be a special episode for a lot of people that have been incredibly frustrated listening to our pod with my steadfast uh, points of view on certain things and yours. And it'll also probably be pretty fun because we are so thankful to be joined by Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11, who will be asked to make the case for every single running back in this draft one by one for the next three hours. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, Nathan, man, sorry we missed you earlier this week. Good to see you now. How are you? Doing good. Um, my dog is fully on the mend. Uh, he had a surgical procedure that young male dogs frequently have. Um, and protecting his privacy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I won't say what it is, but I will say he doesn't have testicles anymore. So, uh, yeah, he was a big baby about that. Uh, you have this amazing thing happening right now where the background's bleeding through right on your front teeth. Um, you look like a hockey player or something. I don't know. Michael Strahan. Yeah, 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 Michael Strahan, yeah. I, I feel like the the uh, remove background feature on our streaming service has gotten worse. Uh, I, I actually, yeah, it's not so good. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see how this goes. But I'm glad to hear your pup is on the mend, and uh, no one likes no one likes that moment in a uh, in a in a life. Uh, but it, it'll be in the past. He'll, he won't yeah. remember it soon. Yeah, it's almost like that feeling when you have to make the case for a running back in the NFL draft. But... No, this is worse. That that's much worse. <laughs> that's much worse. Um, before we get into the heart of our crisscross episode, there are there is a bit of news just to talk about and like just general shooting the shit about the draft that i'd love to do and jeff i'm gonna put you on the spot we were just starting to talk about some of the scuttlebutt of some things happening uh what's what's top of mind for you right now that feels different than it was maybe a week ago or two weeks ago yeah uh, i don't know if this is just uh smokescreen season or this tends to happen this time of year but there's nothing really talk about the pro days are done and it seemed for like the last couple weeks the draft was sort of trending one way like every mock draft even when we did them basically started the same way and i think peter king or albert Brewer, one of the two whoever has those was kind of alluding i think me and you were talking about this brian one of his columns last week or the week before that this draft might be very different than everyone's expecting and I don't know if, again, if this is smoke screens or not, but they're starting to be, the media is starting to trend away from that when everyone was kind of going in the same direction. There's been a lot of talk about Houston in the media in the last four or five days where it seemed obvious that they were going to go quarterback and they still could. But the reports coming out of there, both locally and nationally, seem to think that 
maybe CJ Stroud is not the guy there. And there seems to be rumors coming around. And those rumors are everywhere now. It started with Lance Erline. It seems to be there's mixed feelings in the building on Stroud. There's two groups. They love Bryce Young there. And if I just, I just assume that ownership has been forcing them to take quarterback the whole time. And it seems like Will Anderson or even Tyree Wilson are in play there. So when it seemed like it was going to go quarterback, quarterback, and then maybe another quarterback right away, the other, it seems like Houston is more trending towards Will Anderson. So that drink to Seattle, which I've been hoping for for a while, it seems less and less likely every day. Again, I don't know what's real. This time of year, you tend to hear a lot of smoke. And the other one, which seemed to really change directions, is Anthony Richardson. He's a guy that up until like this week was like after the combine, after the pro day, he was a guy who was really seemed to be shooting up and everyone was expecting one, two quarterbacks. And then that was supposed to be the obvious, okay, trade up to get out of the Colts to get Richardson or the Colts trade up. Now, I don't, again, again, I don't know if this is teams who want Richardson or not, but there seems to be smoke now that Richardson is dropping. And I, I don't know what's changed. I don't know if something, but like, People are talking now that Richardson might fall a little bit and could drop to the bottom half of the top 10 or even out of the top 10. And there's reports now that like the Colts are higher on Levis than Richardson, which is a new rumor. So the Seattle equation is just what it looked like it was going to be for sure three quarterbacks, maybe even four. Now we might see one or two defensive players and maybe Richardson's on the board for Seattle. And so it seemed like, again, the drafts seemed to be going one way and now it's almost flipped on its head. And it's hard to know what's real, but it definitely is changing a bit. So, Nathan, love the background for folks that are Thank listening you. and not watching. That is a classic crisscross reference. I'll leave it to your imagination to uh, picture what it is. Nathan, what is what is what is the fewest number of quarterbacks that could be taken in the top four? In this draft like what is the smallest number of quarterbacks that could be taken in the first four picks zero i don't think you can go below zero <laughs> let's go with realistically <laughs> um i think it's hard for me to imagine two realistically like i mean i think the only one that's probably really guaranteed is carolina um but again, I got yelled at in the group chat by Jeff one time for saying that Indy might not take one. No, uh, that was because you said they would option for Gino. I, I didn't think that. Oh, okay. Well, either way, I mean, yeah. either way, I think, you know, between Carolina being practically guaranteed, it feels like, and then, yeah, Indy really wanting one, just enough QB hungry t- teams, I would say, I would say no low, no fewer than two. Yeah. Did you guys see Jim Mercer's tweet today? No. No. He, t- he tweeted, let me pull this up. said, for the 23 draft, we have many options. We could stay put and take a quarterback. We could trade up and take a quarterback. Or we can trade down and maybe take a quarterback. <laughs> but we like our position. We're fired up. What a troll. He's a dumbass. I don't know. I think this is a bigger question than we would have thought a few weeks ago there was there was a lot of like f- smoke around hey there could be four quarterbacks taken in the first four picks if you had to guess between four quarterbacks going in the first four picks and two quarterbacks going in the first four picks right now what would your guess be 
Um, I I think four. I think it's still four. I know that uh, everything. I, I so this is what I don't know what to do because like all of a sudden there's like all kinds of stuff that's coming out. Like it's not just about the quarterbacks too, right? Like we're seeing stuff where people are talking about. Well, actually, Tyree Wilson's the best edge in this class, and like part of me is just like, hey, it's it's lying season. It's peak yeah. lying season right now. Um. But also, I think teams are probably really finalizing things um, at this point. And so maybe there is just better information getting leaked out. Um, the other thing is, I don't remember exactly when it was, but like uh, Trayvon uh, Walker was not like a consensus number one guy for months leading up to the draft. Um, and I feel like it was closer to the draft than this than we are right now. Um, but that was one of those where all of a sudden it was like, hey, this dude could go number one. And I was very skeptical of that. Um, but sure enough, there there you go. So um, I, I think I'm still inclined to think it's four. Um, but I just don't know what to make of all these this new information that seems to be coming out. Yeah, Jeff, I don't know about you. I, I, I have some questions about it. I, I think that... I think these quarterbacks are not as clean of a evaluation as folks have been implying. I think that I, I'm going to avoid in this episode going about on about why I have questions about Anthony Richardson and Will Levis and so forth. But Bryce Young clearly has the cleanest eval from a quarterbacking skills perspective. CJ Stroud has the cleanest from a peak performance plus physical profile perspective. Um, and then I think it's it's more questionable after that. And if the Texans really don't like Stroud, that would be a fascinating effect on this draft. And things could get a little wild. So we won't go any more on that. It, it, is, a, it is a trend. It is a conversation that's going on. The other thing that it, I would still call it a rumor We've had one of the guys that covers the Seahawks beat confirmed, but I'd like a little bit more confirmation. But it sounds like Devin Witherspoon has made a visit to the VMAC and is one of their top 30 visits. There's a position that we've started talking about more in the last couple of weeks, and there's been some smoke there. Matt Miller, I think on ESPN, talked about that the Seahawks really like Devin Witherspoon. And if the defensive line players are gone, he's an option for them. This would seem to indicate that might be true. So I'm curious what what your reaction would be if the Seahawks stood at the fifth pick and took Devin Witherspoon. Not traded back, but used the fifth pick on Devin Witherspoon. Uh, I guess I'll jump in here. Um, I would be pretty surprised, but I'd be conflicted. I'll be honest. I'd be conflicted because it's funny. I've texted you, Brian, the day Matt Miller wrote that. I was planning on writing that, that like if there was a backup plan, but I, I assume the backup plan would be a move down. The fifth pick would be a little harder to swallow. And just we've seen this team better than anyone else find value later in quarterback. And this is a deep quarter, quarterback class. But like the more I keep looking at this class and like the film that is the most like Seahawky is Devin Witherspoon. That's why I kind of thought like they're going to love this guy. 
if you want to watch like fun, like hard tackling, like guys who change the attitude to your defense, it's him. But again, fifth pick, like this is the big last piece of the Russell Wilson trade to come out with a corner. It's, it's not great. I know the secondary could become incredible. That could become the strength of the defense again, but just, we've spent so much time quarterback front seven, just to come out with like a really good cornerback group to me, even though this might be the best player on the board. And we've spent so much time talking about like, they've never drafted a cornerback before Shaq Griffin. We, I think last year they did not expect any of those tackles to be there. And they were, I believe looking hard at Derek Stingley and maybe even sauce. And like John was sweating through his shirt that much because one of the tackles slipped and they almost traded up. So I don't think it's crazy for them to take a corner, but I'd be conflicted because I really like the player, but it just doesn't seem like they really got what they needed to change this team. Yeah. Two more pieces I'll say on this. And and then unless Nathan wants to chat about it, we can move on. But one, it's interesting. Devin Witherspoon is 5'11". So he's, he's of the cornerbacks that there's a lot of 6'1", 6'2", and above cornerbacks. You know, Jory Porter's a tall guy. He's a physical guy. He's a press guy. It's interesting that Witherspoon is the one that maybe is on the top of their board. I think Joey Porter, in a lot of ways, seems like an ideal fit there. And the thing that I also bring up, uh, listening to John Schneider this week on, on his radio show, he never gives away much, but there was a question about, you know, hey, you've never drafted a corner before this, or you've never done this before that. And he's like, every draft's different. Uh, players are different. Projections are different. And the way he said it, and my interpretation of John was like, I'll take, I'll take whatever players, you know, like I, I, I don't, don't tell me I'm not going to take a corner in the first round. Like it, it sounded he didn't say it, but he kind of said it. So um, I think there might be something to it. I think there might be something to it that this this guy's a real option. And I guess my general feeling of that is good because I think he's a good player. It's not certainly the what I want. I, I want a defensive lineman there. But what matters more than anything else is that they get a very good player with that pick. And there's worse places to get very good players than corner, for sure. So... Yeah, I'm a little surprised that you guys seem down on the idea of corner generally. Like, I would be absolutely shocked because I just don't think they'll do it. I, I don't think that's how they're – I have a hard time thinking they've built their board in a way that they would stand at five and take him, um, which is nothing to say about him or or the position. Um, I haven't watched them, and I think it'd be awesome to spend, uh, you know, fifth pick on a cornerback. Like, that's totally reasonable to me. Um so I'd be, I'd, I'd be totally good with the pick. I'd just be shocked if they actually do it. No, I'm not saying I would be down on it. I guess it's just. The, you really have your heart set on a defensive lineman. I, I feel like the thing that is going to be hardest for this team to get is a defensive lineman. That's a difference maker. That's like the hardest thing for them to get. And so whether they get one there or whether the one that they do draft there, if they go that direction, ends up being a difference maker. You know, I wish there was a cleaner, a cleaner evaluation that we could be pointing to or, or three or four that we, we could be pointing to, but it's, it's a little dicey. So I, I really think the corners are pretty easily projectable. And so, you know, like I said, I'd be happy to get a good player. If that's, if, if we, if we're going to get down to it, give me a good player. <laughs> so, um, okay. Let's, let's have a little fun. 
we're gonna get, we're gonna kind of go round robin here, and we're each gonna get a chance, probably multiple times, to ask each other to make a case for a player that the Seahawks should draft in this draft. And for the sake of making it, I think you know, fun. Let's assume it's a first round pick. It doesn't have to be the fifth, maybe the twentieth, but like make the case that the Seahawks should draft one of these guys. And so as we've talked about this and had some fun with it before, I am going to start with Nathan. Um, I published my first ever big board today, uh, which was super flawed in a million different ways. But as I kind of looked at all the players, the guy that to me that feels like most likely to be a, perennial pro bowler and maybe an all pro level at his position is B. John Robinson. Um, you and I have similar takes on running backs. Uh, I've been a never first round guy on, on that for the most part. Tell me why, tell me why, like, tell me what you like about B. John Robinson and tell me why it makes some sense for the Seahawks to consider using one of their first round picks on a player who might be the most talented at his position in this draft. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to do this, right? Because like not to go just completely the other way, but like, you know, it's really hard to justify the value for a running back there. Um I mean, Bijan's obviously um I think maybe the coolest thing about Bijan is how well-rounded he is. Um he is a very physical back. Um, he will try to run over you like he's unafraid of contact. Um, but he's also obviously very athletic and he can, you know, make explosive plays and stuff like that. Um, he can run away, right, if he gets, uh, you know, into the open field. So, I mean, as a running back, like, I think he's, you know, a really good prospect. Um, he And catches the ball well, I think, and does some of that stuff. Um for the other thing that's so hard about this is that like I think Kenneth Walker is a pretty good running back. Um so you know to say Seattle should draft a running back in the first round like that's uh but you know I don't know that you'd probably give yourself the two best the best one two punch in the league for running backs. I don't think anyone there you would go. say that that, <laughs> that hurt to say a running back duo. <laughs> um Maybe it allows you, it allows Waldron to do some more creative stuff. I mean, um, uh, you know, a lot of what Waldron likes to do is, you know, find ways to get guys moving horizontal, get them in space, get them running. You know, can you, can you teach Bijan, you know, to, to be, you know, as much a receiver as he run is a running back. And then you have, you know, that kind of guy that can really make plays in the open field and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, I could probably give this a much better, like, good faith effort if I didn't think that Kenneth Walker was already pretty good. Uh, but, like, to to draft him to, like, make one of those guys a backup feels pretty bad, even if you like, I think, the idea of running backs in the first round. So, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you'd injury-proof yourself. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you'd be think off the thinking a, town player. That, that's a big one. And, and as someone who's also been and will likely continue to be anti running back in the first round and, and not like not in on the Bijan thing. 
I'll join in here. And, and for the rest of the show, you guys should do it as well. If, you, if, if you're kind of anti the guy we're talking about and you want to make some cases about why you should, feel free. I think Kenneth Walker was great last year. He also was injured for part of the year. He's not the biggest guy in the world. And if you're a team that's built around running the ball and being tough with the ball and that that's a big part of your game, it can make some sense to have a duo there when the Seahawks, the Seahawks have always essentially gone with the duo, whether it was Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, or, you know, uh, even Mo Morris, and Sean Alexander, whatever it might be. There's always been a case for having a couple guys that you can rotate in. And the Seahawks at this point, pretty much have lost most of the running backs in the roster outside of Kenneth Walker. Um, unless you're, you know, there's a couple guys left, but no one that I think really profiles as a starting caliber guy. So I think you could make the case that the Seahawks would be a tougher team to guard and defend against. And that also, if this is the best player on the board, that is a elite, elite running back that you're probably not going to regret having someone who's super elite the same way that I think a lot of folks uh, would have a hard time arguing that Kenneth Walker is a bad person to have on this team. So uh, even though I think for a lot of us on this pod, second round pick, high second round pick was too rich for a running back. That's what they used. And they got a very talented running back for that pick. So I think those are some things I would throw out um, related to that. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I put it up on the screen here, but Nebulak says, you know, Bijan would be a good pickup if he can contribute in the passing game or is able to play slot. I mean, I agree. Obviously, that would be amazing. Um, but I think that speaks, too, to, like, how hard it is to kind of justify or, or make the case, right? Like, you you have to look at a running back and say, well, you know, what if he did things that aren't what running backs do? <laughs> and then it would be good, right? Uh, so I, I get, like, I get the point and, like, obviously, like, you know, Bijan's a very good player, right? And, um, you know, if Seattle did draft him and decided to start him, like, it's not hard to see how he would be productive for the team right away. Um, but I think, you know, anytime you're talking about running backs, you start to have to, like, look at, like, well, can they play other positions? Because those are more valuable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Jeff, who would be your least favorite player to for the Seahawks to pick at five like who would who would you be disappointed of the of the likely candidates who are you most down on Will Levis okay why should the Seahawks draft Will Levis at five <sighs> well, I don't know. wait a minute wait a minute I, I want to call BS on this I have to justify taking a running back in the first round and then you're just like Jeff <laughs> would be the yeah, I thought you had to pick for me Bryce Young would be super hard for me to justify. Let me let me now make a case for why they should take. Yeah, that yeah, I'm sure Jeez. So I, I already knew the answer to the question. I didn't have to ask you, Nathan. If they took Bijan Robinson at five, that would probably be your least favorite pick. It's true. Yeah. I guess the case for less. So you want me to make the case for Levin? Yes. Yes. Good faith case. Less of the equivocations that Nathan gave about why it would be a bad idea. Okay, so Levis, the things to like about him, he's his best year in college was 2021 when they were running the Rams-style offense. Liam Cohen, who was the Rams' offensive coordinator last year, is actually back at Kentucky now. So Waldron runs the same version of his offense. That was his best year in college. And he actually played pretty well to the point where a lot of people thought he would be the number one pick. 
in this draft coming into the year. He's got a rocket arm, like an absolute cannon of an arm. And he profiles in a way that like some of the guys that Josh Allen has, I mean, that John Schneider has liked in the past, like big, strong arm can run. He's like, and he's like Jack, almost like there aren't a lot of quarterbacks built that are that strong. He's probably spent too much time in the weight room, but he's a guy that can be like, I can't think of like a lot of quarterbacks now that are built that are like Jack like that. Like even Mahomes and Allen, like they're bulkier and big Ben is not Jack for sure, but he's a big, strong guy with a strong arm. And he's, he was great in the offense. What happened with him this year is a lot of his offensive linemen went to the NFL, the center in Jacksonville, who was pretty good. And his best receiver went to the NFL out. The guy in the Giants, Wandell Robinson, and with, with his offensive line became horrendous, and his receivers were bad. So the thinking on Levis early on was, if you put him in an offense that he's played in, had his best year, that's the Rams' offense that we run. He gets DK and Lockett, and he gets what looks to be an emerging offensive line. Maybe you can get that thing closer to 2021. If you're making the case, you're hoping that maybe the Josh Allen kind of prospect that the big, strong, toolsy, traitsy guy that struggled when things broke down around him. Maybe if you put better things around him, maybe you get that next kind of guy and hope. And the good thing with him is you have the luxury of time with him. Gino gives him the luxury of time. You can ease him into it. And the tools are there. It's just, I guess I can't say the things I don't like about him. You're hoping that you can work on his processing and his processing and his, like pension for turnovers. You're hoping that gets better with better coaching, which we saw when he had the good coach at Kentucky. And when he had good players, he played a lot better. In Seattle, it's a great play, it's a great place to drop in the quarterback. And one of the reasons it's crazy how much has changed is last year, well, one of the reasons we all didn't like the Walker pick is we all thought this team was kind of far away. We thought they were almost taking a step back and rebuilding. It's pretty amazing how quickly that perception changed. Because now it's almost the perfect place to drop in a quarterback with the line, with the running back, with the receiver. So you can see the case for him. You're just hoping that a lot of the stuff we saw last year can be coached out of his system. Yeah. And as someone who's been against quarterback at that pick in general, but also just not a huge fan of Levis. Also add, I mean, he was injured a little bit this year. Right. Um, and if nothing else, people should know that Evan Hill is a growing fan of Will Levis. He loves the content. Anyone that puts mayo in their coffee and eats bananas with the peel on is someone that Evan is all about the content. Uh, I think he prioritizes it over how the team's going to play. So I, I would say, and one of the interesting things people may not know, whether they care or not, Levis is actually number two on the PFF big board for quarterbacks. He is above CJ Stroud. He is above Anthony Richardson. And I think the reason for that is because his, his season, not this past season, but the season before was pretty elite, as Jeff was saying. Like, he's shown... He's shown some things that some of these other quarterbacks we're talking about have not shown for at least for a full season, um, you know, uh, in college football. So, yeah, I think there's I, I personally have Levis ahead of Anthony Richardson, which not by a lot, but a little bit. And uh, that <laughs> already drawn some ire from people. And, and that's why I think that Levis has shown 
for a full season uh, a little bit more as a passer than I think we've seen from some of these other guys. Okay. You two can now team up and come up with what you want to ask me. Who do I need to make the case for? We should have planned this better, Jeff. We, we knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah. uh, here, I'm going to uh, let's let's pull up your uh, your board there. Yeah. And let's see who you have that's way too low. I know, first of all, it's going to be someone small because uh, you're all about the big boys in this draft. You know, I like the big boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good one. All right. This is excellent podcasting that we're doing here. Um, I'm surprised. I thought you guys would know like exactly who you'd want to pick for me. I know who I know who most of our listeners want to hear. Oh yeah, do we have people in the? I'm guessing it's Anthony Richardson. Is that is that the one that you'd hate the most? Yeah, I guess so. It's probably the one that I feel the least excited about relative to the rest of the Seahawks fans. Or Tyree Wilson. Yeah, those are two good ones. Okay, Which, let's do Richardson though, because I, I have, I think at least one point I want to make, but I want to hear what you let's 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 hear you make the case for Anthony Richardson. So I feel like I got to kind of make two parts of this case because part of the reason I've been against Anthony Richardson is just against any quarterback in that spot um, for the most part, mm -hmm. and I won't go through all of that, but I'll just say the reason it would make sense to draft a quarterback is because it is the most valuable position on the field. If you get somebody who is a true franchise top five quarterback, there's no bigger value you can get. So if there's someone that has the potential to be that, and you are not going to be in this position again, most likely, we can say, ah, they might stink again, but the chances are that the Seahawks are going to be so bad that they're going to have a top five pick again is pretty low. So, and generally speaking your best chance to get a franchise quarterback is at the very top of the draft there are more that are in the top 10 than are in you know uh certainly the the rounds that follow so and for what a lot of other people have made the case and i think all makes sense is you know they're not locked into gino or to drew lock so if they wanted to if they found somebody that truly was great they could get out of those contracts and start their rookie window next year, essentially. Um, so I think that's positive. And because it's a first round pick and it's a five year window or five year lock, you essentially could take one year that first year as a red shirt and still have the same four year window that we had with Russell Wilson, who was a third round pick and you didn't have um, your, your rookie contract was only a four year window. So you could essentially replicate that by taking someone and having have a red shirt. The other thing I would say about quarterback that could make some sense and why you'd want to consider it is they tend to retain value. It's like a Honda Accord, except more it's like a Lamborghini, I guess. Like the fact that you keep it in the garage and you don't take it out can actually enhance its value. So if let's say you draft somebody and they do well in preseason or there's good tape on them or some other team love them, there's a chance you could trade and G let's say Gino also plays great again this year. There's a chance you could trade one of those guys for a first round pick next year, or maybe multiple first round picks, depending on how much somebody loved them. So those are all reasons why I understand why someone might want to make the case for 
a quarterback at five. And then Anthony Richardson in particular, the biggest case I have for Anthony Richardson is that he's a one of one athlete. Like there is nobody else. And so what I don't believe in just profiling quarterbacks because they're athletes, but there is a floor that I think Anthony Richardson has in terms of his contributions. That's relatively high. You know, his ability, you think about Trey Lance and how crappy of a quarterback he seems to be. He still was dangerous because of his legs. He still was kind of hard to deal with because he could move around because he could just jump out and, and cause problems for you. I think Anthony, Anthony Richardson clearly is a more dangerous athlete than Trey Lance. So he also seems like got a good head on his shoulders, hard worker, you know, probably has more that, that he can become in the NFL than, than what he's shown in college. So if what you're wanting to do is get the player with the highest potential, highest, like absolute peak potential and at the highest potential value position, Anthony Richardson's your guy. If, if, you, if, if that's your perspective, then it could make a lot of sense to p- take a player like Anthony Richardson at five. Yeah. Like imagine the freaky combination of just of athletes with Richardson and DK. Like that might be the freakiest duo. It'd be like getting Cam Newton and like peak TO. Like, and Kenneth Walker's a pretty freaky athlete. Like, yeah, and you know, you were saying that you, you like uh, Levis more because he's shown more, but um, Levis is like three, four years older, I think, than Richardson. Yeah, so so there's a lot of unknown. Yeah, so I said in the the group chat, and you kind of touched on this, but like I said in the group chat the other day, I think that Richardson might be the guy that gets me like the most excited on if they take him, not because I necessarily like love the pick, but like if you just you know, forget everything for a second and let allow yourself to get excited about Anthony Richardson, you can get really excited about Anthony Richardson. Like, the sky is the limit. He's super fun. Um, like, that would be, you know, that would be an incredibly risky pick, um, especially considering there's probably guys that they would be, you know, who knows who they might be turning down to take Richardson. Um, but, man, uh, what a cool idea of a player. So that's my Anthony Richardson pitch. <laughs> you see enthused. Here's what I all right. Here I want I want you to go back to back. I got one more for you. Okay. So I look through your big board. Justify Dalton Kincaid at twenty. Oh, that's a good one. So for folks that haven't looked, I have Kincaid as four out of of the top four tight ends. He's my least favorite. In, you know, for the Seahawks to add. I won't go into why that's not what this show's about. I will go into what is great about him. So I think Kincaid is the closest thing to a big receiver of the four tight ends. He is someone who is a great route runner. Great, like great on the seams. He's the biggest big play potential of the four. I think Musgrave's close, but I think, I think Kincaid has shown a lot there. He's great at the point. He makes tough contested catches. He just, he seems pretty easily projectable as a guy that's going to threaten the middle of the field quite a bit and affect secondaries. So pairing that guy with someone like Geno Smith could be really dangerous and he could end up being a better, a 
better weapon and target than the receivers that are in this draft um, in terms of how he could affect the offense. So uh, maybe they could also work on helping him with his blocking. Maybe if you believe Andy Dickerson and the guys there could help build him up as a blocker, then he could be more of an option as, as an inline tight end as well, which the Seahawks tend to use a lot of. Um, and then maybe, maybe there's a case that he's unique enough as a player and as a mover that it would give Waldron the opportunity to run some different things on offense than they have up until now. So I think that's the strongest case I could make for Kincaid. I'm surprised that so many people don't think he's a fit for Seattle when Seattle just traded for, I mean, no offense. Like they didn't to say they traded for no offense. As, as, uh, <laughs> but yeah. they did trade for no offense. That's like, going to be the story he tells his kids, you know, back in the day they traded Russell Wilson, hall of fame quarterback for me. That, yeah, I just want you yeah. to know that that did happen. Uh, and he's <laughs> actually correct. <laughs> he he started like he was their starting quarter or tight end all year yeah um and i think that um i don't know that no offense some amazing blocker i don't i don't know that kincaid like can't reach that height um i think i think if if seattle drafted kincaid is there a receiver on the team that's better with the ball in their hands than kincaid would be day one like i don't i don't think there is really oh, it's close uh, yeah um so yeah, I, I really love Kincaid, and I think there's – I don't expect Seattle to draft him, but I, I do love him. Yeah, and if you've seen Travis. Like, they don't want to compare someone to Travis Kelsey, obviously, but you've just seen what that kind of player can do and the sustainability. How he's Every year we keep reading, like, he's going to drop off this year. He's old, tight ends don't age great. And he's just – you saw him. He's, the best, one, he's been the best player in the Chiefs other than Mahomes for years now on offense. And just a guy who can open up their offense. And we talked about they need someone who can win in the middle of the field. They have their outside guys. They win very specifically. We talk about slot receivers, but Kincaid is like the most fluid route runner at that spot in the draft. And we've seen probably Seattle like the the more of the wide tight ends who like the Will Disley types that Seattle's loved. And when they got Jimmy Graham, they the, the old coaching staff completely botched how to use him. But it's a different coaching staff. And they targeted Gerald Everett earlier. And Gerald Everett plays more of that move tight end role. He's not the blocker at the point of attack. And he was fine here the year other than his drops, but that was with a different quarterback too. So I think it's a clean fit in the offense if they like that guy. Like Michael Mayer is probably more what we envision, like the George Kittle style tight end. And Someone made a great comp for, for um, Mayer. And it, it was exactly, I've been saying George Kittle, but not as fast. And they said Jason Witten. I think that yeah, is a that's great that's comp better. for Mayer. That's very generous, but yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to be really good. I, I'm, I'm pretty high on him. Jeff, I'm going to ask you one that is going to be a combination. This is the true Chris Cross. Ooh. I'm going to ask you to make the case why the Seahawks should draft. Both of them are available at five. Why they should draft Tyree Wilson over Will Anderson. So you have to argue against Will Anderson and you have to argue for Tyree Wilson. Okay, so scouting in general is not about what someone is today. It's about what someone's going to be. And it happens in the NFL a lot, and there are examples of this. We saw it with probably arguably the best value Seattle had last year with Tariq Woolen. NFL teams and scouts in general love traits. 
and they love what people can be. And if you watched like Tyreek Willen's film last year, you might have thought, oh, this guy's a mess. But you get coachings around scouts and personnel guys and coaches. They love freaky traits. And that's Tyree Wilson. Tyree Wilson doesn't have bad film, by the way. He's not like Tariq Woolen's film, but I'm, just to make an example, there's a lot to like about him. His pass rush win rate, number one, is pretty high. I think it's in the high 20s, early 30s. It's not like Trevon Walker, who was 5% or 6% when first overall. Tyree Wilson is someone you can drop in, and coaches and scouts are just going to like ooze him. Like He's got the craziest-looking arms. There's a picture that I sent with the group where he's like standing by his teammates, and he just looks like he's from a different planet. He's got massive arms and he's built like a grown man. And like we've seen success where you get coaching around guys like that and they just look different. Will Anderson is a lot more polished, but he doesn't have like the explosive get off. He doesn't have that Von Miller, Miles Garrett, freaky athleticism. His 40 times, 10 yard split, not pedestrian, but closer to pedestrian than freaky. Tyree Wilson, just his arms, his size. If you can get him coached up and give him a little better of a speed rush, because he can bull rush the crap out of guys. And he's a powerful man. He's physically – he's got like a wingspan compared to John Giannis in the NBA, like who's six foot eleven, And his arms and like – you remember Alvin Smith coming out, and he was a little smaller than him. and He kind of had some weird film in Missouri, and he got him around San Francisco's Vic Fangio, and he just hit right away. And that's Tyree Wilson. I think there's going to be scouts – and coaches that are just gonna like like it or not have a heart on for him because they think you get him i know it's a weird term but they're going to and will anderson's not a guy who's he's got the freaky traits he just doesn't will anderson is polished he's got the high floor he's got clean character tyree wilson other guy he's also got clean character he's a guy that people have been raving about his interviews all off season so you look at guys who you've seen the nfl they draft traits they get excited about if you can teach this guy to be a more confined rusher who could play in the three, four as an outside linebacker or in five man fronts, or you can move him around and Brett Coleman, who's a pretty good film guy made the case of him in the three, four, which I've been having trouble with because of Carlos Dunlap and how similar they're built and kind of the body type. But if you can figure out how to fit this guy in the three, four with his traits and get him coached up, I think the ceiling is higher than Will Anderson just based on that. But well, Anderson's floor is just significantly higher. And, but if you're purely drafting on ceiling, like you talked about Anthony Richardson, I think there's a good case that this guy with the pass rush win rate, with the arms, with the size, it's all there. And Seattle talked about last year, the John Schneider said they want to be the biggest, strongest team that like kind of wins off the bus. And that's this guy. Nathan, what about you? I, 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 it might be an easier one for you, but I, I... – <laughs> Tyree Wilson and Will Anderson are both there, and this, and why should they take Tyree Wilson? No, I think Jeff said it well. I mean, it, it just comes down to that dude's a gargoyle, and Will Anderson's not a gargoyle, and yeah, that's the case. Yeah. I, as someone who's been really on the Will Anderson bus, the train, whatever you want to call it this whole time, I will say he's not a he's not a easy confirmation for me as a all pro level player, right? Like I, I don't know that I see him as a Von Miller level edge player. And I have some questions about how high his ceiling is. 
I think that if you make the case for Tyree Wilson, it is that to Jeff's point, one of his biggest issues has been he's slow off the line. Like he's not, his get off is not great. I think one of the things the Seahawks have demonstrated over a years that they're good at is teaching people how to, <laughs> how quickly they can get yeah. off the line. And, and I would also say that this, the guy that they brought in who is a pass rush uh, coach a specialist, I think there's reason to believe he could be pretty helpful for someone like Tyree Wilson. The biggest question for me is where they're going to play Tyree Wilson. I mean, he's 270 plus. Will Anderson's 255. Will Anderson is a very easy pre projectable at outside linebacker. Wrote any he, he's a good complement to what Daryl Taylor is in, in that regard. You know, he's a he's a good run defender. He's he I think would be pretty decent in that role. I think that Tyree Wilson is a little more confusing. He he profiles a little bit more as a straight four three end than he does in the three, four. Um, so if they can figure that out and they have a clear idea how they're going to use him, one of the things there, I'll throw this out. I think it's relevant. We've been talking about, are the Seahawks going to be three, four, or are they going to be four, three? What if the Seahawks are both? What if they are three, four in base in early downs and they go to four, three in nickel and they put two ends out there and more 280 pound interior guys um, as movers. They've done this kind of thing before, but maybe we're thinking a little bit too linearly about they're either three, four, or they're four, three uh, and, and the type of guys they need. Maybe they're going to uh, utilize both depending on situation. It's a possibility. Then, then Tyree Wilson starts to make a little bit more sense. Okay. Um, Nathan, who do you really love in this draft? Um, uh, I really love, uh, Stetson Bennett. You do actually though. I do, but no, seriously, who do I really love? Um, I, I, I do love Dewan Jones a lot, a lot, a lot. That's a good one. I do as well. I'm here. So I don't know if you want me to pull another one or not. No. Why Why should the Seahawks avoid Dewan Jones at all costs? Um, because uh, leverage is important um, for offensive linemen. And I think it gets more and more important as you go in. Um, and so while you want your guards to be big beefy dudes, um, I don't know if you want them to be six foot seven or six foot eight or seven foot or whatever Dewan like he's a, a monster of a man um, outwards and upwards. Um, and so I don't know how well putting him, moving him into guard. Um, like, I, I don't know you're doing him a service there. So, you know, Dewan Jones is um, one of those guys that I, I wasn't watching him. I was watching pass rushers last year. And every time I would see somebody line up uh, on the, the left side of the defense, against Ohio State, I'd be like, this dude kind of looks like ass. This 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 is a bad game for this dude. And then like it was like the third Ohio State game and I'm like, okay, <laughs> all these dudes keep sucking against uh you know Carlaftis and other good dudes that I was watching that I liked. And I was like, but then they go up against Ohio State and if they're going up against that right tackle, they're just gone. They're just completely blanked. And so I was like, maybe I should figure out who this right tackle is. And then 
And then this year, the same thing. I was, I've been watching different pass rushers, and when they play against DeWan Jones, they're guaranteed to have a bad game. And so I love him as a right tackle, um, but I have concerns about moving him inside. And I, I really don't like, I, I really dislike messing with young players who are, you know, somewhat established the way that a Lucas is right. Where yes, he obviously it's, it's only been a year, so he's not established established, but like to move him now or try something different. I feel like that can really hurt a player's development. And so I wouldn't want to do that. And it's a risk to move him in, to move Jones inside. And so I would stay away from it, even though I think that Dewan Jones is one of the most like surefire good players in this draft. That that's my biggest argument against Dewan Jones is this question about I don't think you can put him at, at guard. He doesn't make sense for the way the Seahawks play that position. He's not a mover the way that they like their guards to be. So it would have to be that Abe Lucas is sliding inside. That's taking some risks from a guy that's played well at a position to a position you haven't seen him at and adding a rookie back to right tackle. It's a lot of risk. So as much as I like Dewan Jones, I think there's some good reason to argue against that. Jeff, I have one for you. Tell me why the Seahawks should draft Brian Bressey in the first round. So they want to talk about getting more dynamic up front. Uh, Brzee is one of the more athletic defensive linemen in a long time. And he was the number one, I think, ranked player in the country in high school. I believe. And he, when he went to Clemson, he was supposed to be like a freaky, like top of the line recruit. And he, there was, he had some tough things go on in the last year at school. I think he lost a family member. I believe it was his sister and he had to take some time off and like early in the year, like I remember when we were starting to look at maybe Seattle is going to pick at the bottom of the top 10. They're not going to get Jalen Carter. They're not going to get Anderson. I didn't even know who Tyree Wilson was at this point, but Brazil seemed to be a guy. I remember like Derek really liked him and his profile is really exciting. He's a guy you convince yourself. He's just an athletic dynamo at his size. And a lot of the Clemson guys, and I don't know if we're going to talk about Miles Murphy later. He's a guy they get just like big time athletes at that spot. And I know Seattle, like we talk about their issues against the run and whatever, but just they Pete mentioned they need to get more dynamic at the end of the year. And if you look at the athletes and we talked about LJ Collier, some of the guys they had, all Quentin Jefferson and Shelby Harris, they're not like freak athletes. They're, they're steady football players other than Collier. Collier's a bum essentially, but um <laughs> Brazil is just a totally different athlete, and just if you, he's the kind of guy. If that it's like making a it's almost a lottery ticket. If that guy hits, that just completely changes your front. And like a freak athlete on a defensive tackle. And Brian, you made a really good case on this earlier in the year. When just think about how many good edge rushers there are versus interior defensive linemen. There's about six or seven dominant interior D tackles and probably over 10 to 20 edge rushers. It's just the spot is rare. And you see the impact. Uh, he's obviously not like Aaron Donald or something like that, but a guy who can create havoc and add that kind of juice from that position is just so rare. And Brazil needs to be coached up. So a lot of similar guys we've been talking about. He's not a dominant player on film last year. He went through a lot. He had injuries. He had the family thing. And 
He's a guy with the ceiling. If we're looking at ceilings and a lot of these guys, they have the low floors, but they have the ceiling. Similar to Anthony Richardson, similar to Tyree Wilson. He tore up the combine. Like his numbers at the combine, I don't know what his relative athletic score is. And if someone had that on file, that would help. But he's got to be pretty high on there because he's just a different kind of athlete, defensive tackle. And coming into the year, he was top 10 on all these mock drafts. He was a guy, even if you look in September, October, he was a top 10 player that you could probably get at 20 now. And I, again, we talked about how Tariq hit, and it was traitsy, toolsy kind of guy that got good coaching. They learned how to study the game. And with the password coach we have, with like a better defensive line, you pair him with Draymond Jones, and all of a sudden you went from having maybe the worst defensive tackle situation to that hopefully becoming the strength of your team moving forward on the defense. So, him, Draymond Jones versus what they had last year at defensive tackle. If that guy hits, that changes the total look of your defensive line. Yeah. So Jeff was asking about his relative athletic score, his Raz, and uh, not his Riz, his Raz. And uh, the answer is that it was a 9.59 out of a possible 10, which ranked 62 out of 1,488 defensive tackles from 1987 to 2023. 62 out of 1,488. So from an athletic standpoint, you know, this is a big boy, 6'5", 300 pounds. He had elite speed grades. He had elite agility grades. Um, his explosion grade was not terrific, but uh, no questions about him from an athletic standpoint and certainly would be someone, there's no, a lot of these guys we've been talking about are 270, 280. Like there's not a lot of these 300 pound dudes that are movers that we've been able to talk about. And so I think that's the case for Brezzy that, that, you know, he could be one of those guys. So not a lot to choose from. Um, who else? Who else is on the mind of the two of you? Anyone that you want me to talk to that you want to ask each other about? Yeah, Brian, tell us why they shouldn't draft Kalijah Kansi. Ah, I was waiting for that. Kansi is certainly one of my favorite players in this draft. This is a tough one. I think the the case to be made for not drafting Kansi is primarily his arm length. I mean, and I'm not a big fan of that as just a outright disqualifier, but there's just a reality in the NFL or, or just a defensive line or offensive line play in general, that if someone's able to reach you before you reach them and they're able to lock you out, you're kind of out of the play. And so arm length absolutely matters. It also matters just in terms of leverage. I mean, if you just think about it, if you get close to a wall and you're able to push on it, you're able to put a lot more power. If you're at a distance and your arms are at full stretch and you're trying to press on that wall, you just have less power. I don't know if that metaphor works for people, but that's just a reality of how much arm length does impact how you can play that position in the NFL. And so as fast as Kansi is, as much as he's proven himself with hand fighting and other things, I think that his best case scenario realistically is probably, you know, a nickel play like a rotational player he's probably never gonna be a three down defensive lineman for you most likely and so if you're looking for someone who can be on the field more 
and contribute more against the run and against the pass, he's going to be a bad pick. And there is the chance that he could just end up being a, a really non-factor like that, that it's not something you could help develop about him not going to get longer arms so if that ends up being just what he did in college doesn't translate there's not a lot you can do at that point you really roll in the dice there and hoping that his disruptive tendencies transfer and if they don't you might have somebody who is moving around very quickly and running really quickly and not being at all involved in almost any play. How so, long were his arms? Just over 30 inches. Like, I mean, really short. I mean, Aaron Donald was 32 inches and there were all questions about his arm length. Cansey is in the fourth percentile for defensive tackles in arm length. Really yeah. short. Yeah. Um, do either of you guys like JSN? Jeff loves JSN. Yeah, I do. All right, Jeff, tell make a case for not drafting JSN in the first. He's there at 20 in Seattle passes. <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> um, Seattle historically has gone for certain types at receiver. And they like they I don't think they've taken receivers who haven't run good 40 times. And that's pretty much the antithesis of JSN. JSN is more quick than fast. He had the good three-cone time. He had good agility score. But his 40 time and his speed in general is not great. And they have a type. You look at how all the receivers they've drafted over the years. They're almost all similar in terms of their speed, DK, and how fast Lockett is. And There's not a lot of guy who doesn't have a lot of straight-line speed. And JSN's more of the slot who wins – route running and i just don't know if that's how Pete carroll i don't know if historically Pete carroll's had a lot of guys like that over the years so seattle just hasn't valued that like inside slot receiver and really they haven't valued the third receiver it's been an issue for us for years so if we're talking about like john sticking his historical trends and what he's done well jsn is not really in their wheelhouse and based on what they've drafted in the past and they still might think D. Eskridge can play that spot, and oh, this, this is hard. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Smith doesn't need a receiver who can win out of the slot, get open very quickly. Um, yeah. um, I guess in general, third receivers typically go. I'd say you're gonna have to draft this guy in 20th overall. Seattle's a great spot, getting value on day two, lock it. Metcalf, both day two guys. Golden Tate, day two guy. Paul Richardson, day two guy. Uh, they haven't really drafted. There's not a lot of teams who draft third receivers in the first round. They typically can get receiver as – so in terms of like best use of resources, when you can get a third receiver round two, round three, round four – well, maybe not round four. See how sucks at round four with receiver. But maybe if you're looking at like the – highest priority positions where Seattle's hit in the past. Maybe it's not there, but I have trouble with this one because I just think he's exactly the opposite of what they have and block it, but that's my best attempt. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I got a quick flyby and then I, I want to go for Nathan too. A guy that I have been much lower on than other folks is uh, Lucas Van Ness. Um, this is a guy that 
similar to Tyree Wilson is in the, the 270 range. And so I have questions about where he fits. I've had questions about the fact that how can this guy be a top 10 pick when he's never was a starter in college. And I will say the case for Lucas Van Ness, man, this would be in the top 10. Okay. Like this is to trade back and you still, you end up with Van Ness. I think the case there is I look at, I looked at him a little bit more. I think he can add some weight. I think he can add some weight and still be pretty explosive. And if he could be, I, I think there's a chance he could get up to around 290. I, I think that that's not totally out of the question. I think he can at least add 10 to 15 pounds. And if he, he's only 21 right now, he's going to be 22 next year or this year, I guess. I think there's a chance he could end up being kind of what I want Cansey to be which is a really disruptive interior pass rusher. I don't think that his best potential is as an edge for Seattle. I think there's a chance he could be, I'm not saying he's going to be JJ Watt. I'm not saying that, but I think he could be more of that style um, power interior player that could play defensive end in a three, four. So that's my quick flyby on Lucas Van Ness, who I've been pretty down on. He's he's an athlete though too. Like even if he doesn't put on weight, um, his Raz, he's got a good Raz. He does, no doubt. It's hard for me not to argue against it, but I'm gonna just leave it leave it out there. Leave it he's out. Got, there. He's got a lot of ton of pure power though. Like his he does. Rushes, like he is maybe the best power rusher of this whole draft. And Iowa's a weird program. They no matter how good players are, they always play their seniors. And so one of the reasons he didn't start is because he wasn't a senior. And yeah, they have that rule there, which is uh, – we you see it more in the NBA where guys who don't start kind of come to the NFL and they get molded and they just start – like Scotty Barnes with the Raptors didn't start and he was rookie of the year. But You, you think uh, Van Ness is a better power rusher than Tyree? I think so. I think Tyree just wins with like, yeah, I think Van Ness might be, I think there's a case for it. A lot of the rushes I've seen from Tyree Wilson have been slow developing and absolutely connected to his reach where he's able to just literally like yeah, just reach like... out and snatch a dude and like pull him down. I, I haven't seen the speed to power with him. I don't see the speed period with him. Um, so Van Ness seems absolute like speed to power is his def- is he's defined by that. You know, he just he will run guys, including some of the best offensive linemen we've seen and tackled, just right back into the backfield. Yeah, I heard a good comparison for Tyree. I heard if if you watch his like his like clips or his highlights, it's amazing. But when you watch the film, <laughs> there's it's the sort of reaction you have. There's a lot left to be desired. So it's one of these guys that if you just like watch the cut up of his like best plays, you're like, this is the best player in the draft. But the more you dig in, you start to see what's missing. And go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean you're no, right. that's that's how I was he was described to me. I, I I think I think the whole highlight, like you should obviously not scout players by their highlight tape. I hope like, <laughs> but you know. Uh, to the point of this being the crisscross episode and like, let's justify these picks that we don't like go look at go, pick any player you don't like and go to YouTube and type that player's name and then just bombs and watch their highlight tape and tell me that there's no way that they can be successful. Right? Like 
I, I've over the years and different years, especially I've spent a lot of time on draft guys and I've had like very strong opinions on draft guys at certain points. Some of them were good. Some of them bombed. And it's because, I mean, it's, the biggest reason is we don't know these people as workers. Um, and I, that's become a little trite, but I think that's like one of the biggest thing that, things that these NFL teams are doing really is trying to understand them and like, are they going to show up? Are they going to work hard? Do they have a work ethic? All that stuff. Um, but the other thing is like, all, almost all these guys have ways they win, right? They have things that they're good at. And now whether those things are valuable, whether those things are, you know, how repeatable, sustainable, how varied they are, like, can they win multiple ways? And that's obviously going to help you be more successful. All of that stuff matters. But like, you know, all these guys have ways they can win. All these guys have ways that they can show up and be good players, right? That's why we see fifth, sixth, seventh undrafted guys show up and be good football players because, yeah, their path might be less likely, um, but very few of these guys have no path, right? That's right. That's right. That's a great point. So we're a little bit after, after the hour here. You guys got a few more minutes. Sure. Uh, wrap up yeah. on a couple other guys. Um, yeah. Nathan, I feel like we haven't given you enough of a chance here. Talk to us about either a player – player that you really like or a player you've been really down on and then make the opposite case. I'm going to give you a, a self-selection opportunity here. We've talked about some of the guys I'm down on. Like I'm not a big um, Kansi guy or Brzee guy. Um, I'm not a big Miles Murphy guy. Um, my make answer the case for him. We have not talked about Murphy. <laughs> Let's talk about Murphy. No, he didn't do a combine, right? I mean, he just waited in. Did he get a pro day? What's it? Does, do we have a Raz on him? He his own pro day. Okay. What's his Raz? I will tell you in a second. Because the thing that everyone says about that dude is he's a freak. And the thing that I don't like about him is I don't see it on the tape. But if, if you know, he, he did it. You want to hear it? Yeah. Yeah. Miles Murphy, defensive end, is a six foot five, 275 pound dude had a 9.71 RAS out of a possible 10. That ranked 48 out of 1,628 defensive ends since 1987. 48 out of 1,628. He had a good, like, middling size grade. He had an elite speed grade. And he had a above-average agility grade. What was his explosion? Did he have a good explosion grade? Or it was or... did not qualify because he didn't do the broad jump. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, okay, so then it's the same thing with like Van Ness, right? Is I, I don't know what he is as a player right now. I don't I don't love the tape. Um, but you know, if you have the athletic profile like that, uh, and you again, you know, going back to the work ethic and, and how coachable are you. If you can, if you can put it all together, if you can learn, right, <laughs> you can put that to use. So that's, I think that's the case for Miles Murphy. Um, the guy that I, I really like, and I was surprised he was farther down on your big board than I expected because you kind of put me on him was Parker Washington. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I do like Parker Washington. I think the case against him is just um, that top end speed. Um, we didn't get to see him run at the combine. I don't think he even ran at his pro day. Um, 
I'm optimistic that he would have ran faster than people think. Like me and uh, Derek were talking about it, and Derek thought it'd be a miracle if he got under four or five or at, uh, about four or five, something like that. Um, I see a player that looks a lot like Golden Tate, and Golden Tate didn't have like an amazing combine. He didn't have an amazing forty time. Um, so that's why I'm I'm up on him. But like I think the athlete the athleticism could be um, could be what kills him um, if he really can't uh be anything more than a jitterbug guy and he's not like an exceptional athlete that way um i think he wins uh you know contested catches and um he's kind of a more of a tactician and like that stuff's really important but sometimes you see people get obsessed with guys that can make all these contested catches and then they get into the nfl and those catches are a lot more contested uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it gets a lot harder to live that way. Like uh, JJ Ortega Whiteside was a guy that I fell for that on. There was uh, one thing about, about Parker Washington that did cool, chill me on him a little bit. And this that. may be close to your, your heart, Nathan, his arm length is in the second percentile for receivers, 29 inches. And at slot, hopefully that's not the worst thing in the world, but for the points that you're making, he also has not been a guy that clearly gets open a lot. There is a lot of contested catches and that gave me a little bit more. I started, I've become a pretty big Charlie Jones guy. Like I think that's a guy that could be an ideal slot receiver for them. They could get him maybe in the fifth round. And uh, I like him quite a bit. So that's, that's part of what cooled me on Parker Washington. Yeah, I did not know that. And um, that is, yeah, exactly what you're saying. That's concerning with the way he wants to win. Um, now, uh, Tyler Lockett arm length was seventh uh, percentile, 30 inches flat. It's a great, um, great call out. And he's not a dude that like just, you know, thrives on contested catches. Um, he mm-hmm. did run a 4-4, which isn't amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I definitely get the concerns with Parker Washington, but he's a dude that I, I really really like jeff can you make the case for miles murphy you've been so down on him um i'd say one of my biggest like i'm not an evaluator i rely on a lot of people for evaluations one of my per i just try to take profiles and project one of my biggest misses in the last couple drafts was rashawn gary uh, coming out of michigan i really didn't like him as a player he was a lot of what we're saying about miles murphy more of an athlete than a player very inconsistent on film. You saw the flashes so often, but exactly what Nathan was saying before, you didn't see that athletic ability on tape and he was an athlete. And I remember that year when the Seahawks did take Collier, we were looking at Rashawn Gary and Murphy's profile as a prospect is very similar to Rashawn Gary, who's been a way better pro than was a college player. And that was one of my biggest misses. So I have to wonder in the back of my head, am I missing something here? Um, Because the way they win, their profile is very similar. So in terms of just, I talked about the Brazil, the pure athleticism, and they want to get more dynamic up front. If you're projecting traits and you're projecting, maybe he's not good in college, but he'll be a good pro. And that's really, you're hoping with this pass risk coach, you can refine his technique and you can get him to be, because he's more of an athlete than a football player. And we talked about their issues against the run last year. So you're going to have to coach him up a lot. But I think of Rashawn Gary as a guy who I really was against the year where we were hyper-focusing on pass rushers. And I really liked Brian Burns that year who did it. And Gary's been a really, really good pro. Maybe Murphy's that same kind of thing. 
Yeah, the only thing I'll add on Murphy, because I've been kind of with you on this, is this is a guy that his freshman season, there were people that were like, this guy's a lock top 10 pick. So his freshman year, he he was a different kind of player than he's been in the, the two seasons after that. So he's shown some peak potential. But he hasn't been consistent with it. So maybe it's the scheme. Maybe it's how they were using him. I think this is a case for why Brezzy might be better in the NFL. They asked him to play a lot of like nose tackle, essentially, like or one tech um, in, in for Clemson. And I see him as an athlete that could be better fit in like a three tech or some place where he could actually move around and 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 be a disruptive. So there's a chance scheme played a role for both of these guys, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. That's as, as far as I can get out on the ledge with those. Hey, two. Brian, I got one for you. Okay. Oh God. In Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft, the Seahawks traded both their second rounders to trade up to the end of the first round to draft Hendon Hooker to get their fifth year option. Why is Mel Kuyper right? That's a good idea. You asshole. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Okay. Uh, you just really just you just stuck it to me with that one. Um oh god. All right. Uh let's start with the player. Let's start with the player. Hendon Hooker has some insane numbers. I want to say, let's see if I've got him here somewhere handy, but from a touchdown to interception ratio is like insane uh come on let me find him real quick so I want to share. Turnovers. he do they have this here yeah so 27 touchdowns two interceptions in, in this past season 31 touchdowns to three interceptions in the season before uh so you're talking about you know like 60 odd touchdowns to five interceptions in two seasons like that's that's a remarkable ratio it also happens to be a ratio that the seahawks are supposedly care quite a bit about um when they're evaluating quarterbacks he has been a high completion rate guy he has been someone who has played in multiple different types of offenses and he's getting a lot of i think hate for well, I won't say if it's good or bad. He's got a lot of hate for this past season for the the type of offense he was in and that it was a little bit simple and that anyone could have done some of those things. But he also played before in a different offense the year before and, and was able to excel. Uh, so he has fewer negative traits than maybe any of the other quarterbacks he's got. He's got the size, 6'3", 215. Um, he's got the numbers in terms of what he's been able to do production-wise. And you probably are able to project him better. He's probably more clearly someone like Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe if you're lucky, like, uh, I don't know. There's probably a, a better, higher comp than that. But um so I think those are part of the reasons. And then also, if you're going to draft a quarterback, there's reason to get him in the first round because you get that fifth year option. And with a guy that's likely going to be a red shirt this first year, pretty useful to have the four years after the first year on him. And as far as making the trade up, you know, why would you want 
to get more players out of the heart of the draft. That seems like a silly thing to do. The Seahawks really are just a quarterback away from being great. So <laughs> young quarterback away. And that's just sorry, obvious. Sorry, anybody, anybody could make that case. You bastard. I got one more for you too. If you want oh, to go God. back. To that. Oh no. I want you to tell me why Seattle properly values the center position in the draft. What? Evan Brown starting center. Uh, okay. There was actually a chart that I retweeted last week, I believe. That was actually pretty cool. And it was, I think, <clears throat> the, the relative draft position for certain positions in the NFL and their relative cost via free agency. And so the idea was if they are drafted low and they are cheap on the market, those are players that are, you know, it, it makes sense to not draft high. It's, it's a stretch to take one of those players at a, at a high round because you could get them cheap on free agency or you could get them cheap for a lower pick. And the two positions that stood out in that regard were guard and center. They were both very cheap on the market for the center, especially cheap on the market and usually a position that's drafted low in, in, in the draft. So you could make the case the Seahawks have been doing exactly what they should be doing at a position that largely is not as valued in the NFL from a market perspective. And you could also make the case that center is probably the, the easiest position to stick someone who's a Jag in because you can surround that person by a guard on either side and they don't have to be effective in space or anything like that. So those would be the reasons why the Seahawks have absolutely made all the right calls at center for the past 10 years since they traded Max Unger. Bastard. Well done. Okay. Good job. <sighs> that hurt. I, I, I want to ask Jeff why they should not draft John Michael Schmitz. And, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll wrap on that one. Let's say he, he's a little older. Number one, he's some of the other options, Joe Tittman, uh, more of an athletic guy projects in this offense. Schmitz is a little older and we've seen just typically it's better to draft younger players, ascending players. The other uh, problem I'd say with Schmitz is he seems to be skyrocketing in this draft. And to the point where there's a lot of chatter about the giants at 24, I believe they're at the bills. So you might have to take this guy at 20 and Brian, you just mentioned Center's a position. We, if you do the PFF simulators, you can get a center at 37. You can get a center at 50. To get Schmitz, been the way he's going in the media, it seems like you're going to have to draft him at 20. And if you're not comfortable taking a center that high, I imagine there's some people more of the analytically driven thinkers. They might hate that pick. And if you're someone that just purely drafts a high premium positions if you believe you should only draft premium positions in the first round offensive line tackle defensive line edge rusher interior drafting a center at 20 might freak you out but i did put a list at a couple of months ago of 
there's been a lot of centers drafted around that spot and most of them have hit. So that's the good part. But if you're uncomfortable with taking an interior offensive lineman at a premium spot in the draft, you might have to take this guy at 20 because the sense now, and Tony Pauline had a report and I don't want to get into Tony's history with the Seahawks last year. It was the worst draft reporting you've probably ever seen. <laughs> and when John Boyle did his inside the draft article and you saw what Tony Pauline report, it was laughable. He said they were desperately trying to trade down. John Schneider was sweating to the point he had to switch his shirt because they were trying to trade up for Charles Cross. And then he wrote the Seahawks wanted to trade up for a quarterback. John Boyle and Bray Henderson talked about how they didn't draft – they had multiple chances to take Willis Ritter. Even in the third round, they didn't take a quarterback. So I am kind of roll my eyes whenever Tony Pauline writes something. But Schmitz seemed to be skyrocketing and – he seemed to have seen Seattle's hyper-focusing on the center with that 20 pick or even a move down. So Schmitz isn't athletic as Joe Tippmann. Joe Tippmann is way more athletic, better in space, probably has a higher ceiling. So you might be drafting the older, lower-ceiling athlete at 20 where Tippmann might be available at 37. Yep. And with Yeah, I think that's the case against Schmitz. And I think I'm that's right. That. I think that's right. I think there's – there's probably two other guys that you could get later in the draft that may not be clearly worse than Schmitz for various reasons. And but as much as I just said, I don't trust Tony Point. I thought that thing was interesting. That yeah, against Steve Hutchinson apparently to work out, not Luke Whipler, the other two. And he made a good point that me and you have been talking about. There seems to be more demand than supply. And there's the guy from Michigan. He's I think his name's Olu. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yep, yep, yep. He's probably the fallback option for more of the third. He won the Allen Trophy last year and had a really good senior bowl. So he's probably their backup option. And there's the guy from Oregon, Forsyth, who's an interesting guy. But if Seattle wants one of these centers, it's either going to have to be for Schmitz, it might have to be 20. Tittman, it's going to have to be either their first, second rounder, or maybe even a trade down. And Tittman's a guy I mean you haven't spoken as long on. And I kind of dug into it this week and I'm starting to like him a little more. I had focused so much on Whipler and Schmitz. He kind of slipped under my radar. Brock Hewitt said he did a couple of Wisconsin games, and he was the alpha dog on the team. They weren't very good last year, but that's what this offensive line needs. You put those two tackles with another athlete, you can really build a special look. Because Cross and Lucas kind of went away from Seattle's typical drafts, and Tittman fits that mold more than Schmitz. So I'm getting more excited about him. Schmitz is still my guy, but – I can convince myself into Tittman pretty quick. I don't know if you have the same. Yeah, I, I've I've been pretty low on Tittman, and and partially because I don't see him as being as physical as the other two guys, and I don't see him playing with the same edge as the other two guys. But there's no doubting from an athletic standpoint, his size, weight, speed, he's best of the breed. He's best of the those three for sure. So. If the Seahawks have done their due diligence and they that's their guy and from just a positional pick value perspective, they just can't justify going at 20 or 23 or 25 with Schmitz, then I get it. I, I, won't, I won't be crushed. I will be disappointed. But I, like Schmitz is definitely my guy. I, I'm I don't think that's going to change. Yeah. But but Tipman is is not a guy I'll, I'll be upset if they call his name um, yeah. to the Seahawks. I'm very aligned with you there. Uh, Schmitz is just profiles. It's, it's not Creed Humphrey because he doesn't have the athletic score, 
and he's not the special athlete, but Schmidt's just profiles. So like, it reminds me a lot of Nick Mangold as a prospect. Like a really yeah. I think that's a good good call. Yeah. Jeff, this was a very hard show for me. I'll, <laughs> I'll just be really honest. I mean, we end on a good note somehow. I I will end I will end on one non crisscross thing, and and you're welcome to if you have something you want to add to. There is a guy that's been climbing the boards for me, and it's not a a, a rare name, but it's Nolan Smith. And I, as I dig into Nolan Smith, there's no question. Everyone was so excited about what we did at the combine unreal athlete, maybe one of the best athletes in this draft. And the big, but was, but he's not really shown out as an edge rusher. So this guy is an edge, but he hasn't really been a good pass rusher. So he can have all the great scores you want. He's also small. He's like under 240 in most cases, um, depending on, on where and when he's been weighed. But what everyone also says, and if you look, he is maybe the best run defender at that position on the edge of any player in that same category in this draft. And he is also a guy that everybody talks about as the guy you want in the locker room. He is the guy that traveled on the road with the team, even when he was injured, because he is just such a presence and so many people are flocked to him. I am starting to get really excited about the notion of him being a perfect three, four outside linebacker for the Seahawks that could look Daryl Taylor. What got almost 10 sacks last year, but he could not defend the run to save his life. And it cost the Seahawks big time. So if you're telling me the Seahawks are going to end up with Nolan Smith, who is a more of a project from a pass rush perspective, but is going to be, I think potentially a great in coverage. He's got all the athletic ability to do that. He's a great run defender. You can have a guy like that on the field and then you can rotate in a Daryl Taylor for pass rush situations and you can develop this guy as a pass rusher. So Nolan Smith is a guy that I had mostly written off as far as whether it made sense for Seattle, who is climbing the charts for me. Where do you see him? Do you see him as a trade down option? Do you see him at 20? I would see it at 20, 20 to 25 is like the place you'd have to take someone like him if he's around. Yeah. Cause Smith is gonna, his character grade is going to be through the roof and everything you like about Will Anderson Smith is, he's a little smaller, but he's just a totally clean. He is the leader of the program. They showed his teammates like cheering on his pro day. I don't know if you saw us during the combine. It was a pretty wild video. And, you heard him speak at the combine like he was pretty impressive and say you do draft jalen carter at five this is the perfect guy to pair up with him because he's they're they're close friends he's a guy who's vouched for him and if you want someone to like keep keep him under good behavior in seattle and i know Diggs and sherman were talking about that that's the perfect guy and see i was talked about the, the impact of character i think nolan smith is gonna rank really high on their board in that regard so i, I see the fit very cleanly for sure. Cool. All right. Well, it's almost three 30 on the West coast and uh, I'm going to let you go. We will, we will have another show this week. So we'll have opportunity to have um, more takes and more pieces. I want to thank Nathan Ernst who dropped off due to internet issues at Nathan E 11 on Twitter, Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. And you can find me Brian Emhauser at Hawk blogger on Twitter for all joining today on a Sunday, raining here, apparently sunny in Toronto. So, Jeff, I hope you get to go out and enjoy some more of the sun. And if folks, if you haven't already given the show a like, what's going on? Come on, give the show a like, subscribe to the channel. 
and go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger sign up right now get immediate access to the slack channel and that's where the conversation keeps going and folks I will be in the room with John Schneider and Pete Carroll this Thursday evening, one week prior to the draft. I likely won't find out anything. And if I do, I won't be able to share anything, but we will be talking uh, about this draft this week on the pod. So tune in, join patreon.com slash We will see you soon until then have a wonderful rest of your weekend.